I'm Monty from the Delta Riggs, the band. I'm Elliot from Delta Riggs, and um, you're actually hearing us right now. Uh, introducing, introducing. Lift the room. Push your pull. Well, here we are, episode five. You've had some young blood. You've had a tine James Organ, some stunning haiku hands girls, a bit of Peking Duck as well. Are you ready for a rig session? Look, all I remember from this chat is the hangover after, and basically that's how I feel every time I spend a night with this great band. I've known Monty and Elliot from the Delta Rigs for years. Now, the best gig for me was a Newtown Festival show in Sydney. I had my then four-year-old son on my shoulders. I think Ruben from Peking Duck grabbed him and took him to the front of the stage. Monty basically welcomed little Alfie to his first live show with a few F-bombs and a lovely wave. This band works very hard. They play hard, too. And they've also donated their killer push and pull track from their 2019 album Modern Pressure to this little podcast as well in the intros and the outros. I know you've been loving it. Kick back, pour yourself a jammo, unless of course you're driving, and let me introduce you to Elliot and Monty from the Delta Rigs. Well, I actually haven't really thanked you in person for writing the tune for this podcast. I mean, that's not why you wrote the well, tune. No. Oh, well, it is actually. <laughs> <I'd> actually <laughs> and, it, and it's a very serious kind of thing. I don't yeah. really appreciate you laughing about it. When we got the task, you know, we, we went deep down. We went back to Russia, uh, found a studio bunker. <laughs> And really kind of went to work. Well, it took us about two and a half years, Mike, do you think? <laughs> yeah, it was close, close. Yeah. But under, we got like... Yeah. I can hear the detail. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah and the devil is in the detail. It really yeah. is. No, I appreciate you being here. Also, what did you expect, Elliot, when you walked through the door? Because obviously you hear the word podcast, um, you know me, and we're in, a, again, because of COVID in a little makeshift studio in, in the Sydney. Um, it's not our normal setup. What were you expecting? Well, I was I was thinking, <laughs> obviously, you know, the, t- the name Tim Blackwell. Mm. In lights? Uh, well, no, in my in my brain at the pub before oh, I got here. Yeah, right. And I'm thinking, what would I what would I be walking into? So I was imagining, yeah, like I said, immediately shorter set chairs. Um we're yeah. both kind of we're high. both kind of lanky. So why we would position ourselves on either lanky or sitting objects. It feels is like a mystery. We're on a, a morning um, show in the US. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like morning America. I'm over here. You actually look good, Monty. Because yeah, you're the right size I'm, for yeah. it. Yeah. I get to. I'm the short one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Danny DeVito of the group. Yeah. I don't know what the rating is on this show. So there's some other things I was kind None of expecting yet. to see when I walked None into yet. this place, but None. I haven't seen them yet. But it's uh-huh. about being in the first series, and we're happy, right. pumped to have you in the first series. Uh-huh. And you're among um, a great alumni. Well, I was saying, I was saying that we haven't actually done this in a, like had microphones in our faces in a long time because yeah. of COVID. Well, let's start with that then. What What would you be doing right now? Like we're recording this in August in 2020. What would you be doing as a band? right now so we would have finished up our tour with the eagles of death metal yeah and then we were we were angling towards um birds of tokyo we were looking yeah we were talking with birds of tokyo about going out with them Mm. um but also we had we had kind of referred to 2020 (laughs) pre-covid um, which is quite ironic now in re- retrospect. Because it's, it has been not. As the oh. year of the Kush touring. Now, now when the Delta Riggs define, you want to know what Kush touring is, I want to define Kush that. Kush touring. Because yeah, there's Kush. difference. There's a diff- there's very, there's various tiers in, in touring, you know. Yeah. Generally, when you're going out with yourself and you're the headline act, there's a lot of stress about that. Obviously, you've got to, you're the headline act, so you've got to do the, the best show. Mm. Um, you've got to worry about ticket sales. You've got to worry about promotion. You're kind of selling yeah, the whole setting thing. setting up the stage. Do it. You've got, you've got everything on it's your, your stage. It's, it's your, your show. Yeah. rides on your shoulders, so yes. to speak. Whereas yeah. if you um, find yourself in the position where fortunately, and I don't know how we have, but just yeah. through the years, we Many have found, times. found ourselves in the position where we, we're asked to go on tour 
with a massive band, bigger than we could ever imagine to be. And so then um, enjoy the perks of that kind of tier of touring, which I'm getting <laughs> yeah. back to. There's different tiers to yes, this I shit. Like There's this. levels to this stuff. Yeah, many uh, levels. Yeah. So we'd, we'd kind of hit it out of the park. We'd started over in New Zealand um, doing a stadium run with, or arenas, sorry, with um, uh, Sticky Fingers, mm. which would you would uh, classify We will as... talk about that. That was a huge, I, I know yeah, sitting with Monty the... and all I did for our, our whole lunch was look at videos of it. Like, <laughs> it was like I was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know me, buddy. <laughs> Love talking about myself. But the level of uh, cush in that, you know, when I'm talking, we had pool tables in our dressing room. Yeah, right. And then we rolled into Billy Idol. So we were yes. doing, back in Australia, doing arenas as well, which was going to go into Eagles of Death Metal and then hopefully this pivoting into kind of Birds of Tokyo. So, well, so for, that was the whole idea. It was like we've done, the, we're going, let's just ride this lightning and not yeah, do our own tour We toured our ass off in 2018-19. Let's, let's tour our ass off in style and someone yeah. else picks up the yes. bill into 2020. Yes. And, and what that eventually actually was was us just sitting on the couch yeah because of covid what just you? like you know <laughs> talking about how great we are we could have been talking about what we should be doing because there, there's a theory going around that fitzgerald wrote the great gatsby yes. in the spanish flu lockdown ah. have you been that creative well we actually we did go we went down we've we've done we've got a collection of songs that we have um we went down to melbourne and and recorded a, an ep and we just we just are hesitant to release it yes right well we don't know how to we're not hesitant to release it it's a bad thing to say we're kind of just wary of the steps it's like people are like don't release anything because you can't tour it you can't support it and then like dmas for example have just released a record and they only they've had to pull in or even pivot and use the word taylor swift which i would never normally on it but that album just came out with a week's notice and yeah. is the biggest thing in the universe yeah, maybe this is what people want now though yeah yeah but, but taylor swift you can't compare to no, us. but I'm not comparing no. to Del Rey, and maybe that's the first I mean, time. I mean, I love happened. Taylor, but maybe I think this is what when the time is that maybe we're thinking about releasing this podcast in the middle of COVID. Maybe people need people stuff to stick starved, in their AirPods. They're starved for attention, but then it went through that. I feel, and I think Elliot shares my sentiment here. Mm -hmm. That when it started with all the acoustic and your favorite bands are just doing those live from home. Yeah, I know. You watch one or two songs and you're like, oh, this is fucking boring. I was watching some of my favorite you know bands I mean? like, as, being yeah. like, I hate this fucking yeah. band. Yeah. Because this is not what I go to see this band exactly. for. Exactly. So it kind of waters down. It was watering down your whole thing. So I, we purposely didn't do that. Well, see, this is what it is. that's the Prince theory of you don't know what he had for breakfast every day. So you loved him as a star. Nowadays, you know what everyone has for breakfast, you know. Yes. You know, what car they drive and their music's so no down mystery. the list, <laughs> it makes yeah. their music a bit dull. Yeah, there's definitely something to go. That That's a really interesting thing to point out, that idea of just a little bit of mystery and, lot, yes. um, in, in the artist and trying to actually give some somebody the opportunity to uncover something themselves as opposed to it just being slammed mm. in their face. I don't know if... I don't want to throw Taylor Swift in the firing line with that because I love Taylor Swift. She's a good songwriter, but, but yeah. so I don't think she's an example of that. But there's like looking at the yesterday, I was looking at the UK, US, and indie top fifty, and like yeah. it's just so much fucking junk, clunky yeah, shit in like, there. It's, it's like it's no more... one's gonna care about. Like we're still talking about the Traveling Wilburys. Someone was you know you can kind of drop like. The word Tom Petty somewhere. I'm still showing yeah. people the last waltz. You put me yeah. on the last waltz two years ago. I'm now just telling people that like it's the new Die Hard yeah, movie. I know. Gonna, but this is the good thing. Totally. But have you seen the new Die Hard film? <laughs> I know. He's <laughs> the great. Thing about the last waltz is it is that beautiful and it's timeless, as you said before, about something else. But yeah. 
it is timeless so it can be discovered and that's what lacks i think today with back to what elliot's just saying about the mystery it's like you used to discover stuff like mm. you used to have to find it like nick drake who did that pink moon record like there's no photos of him it's so hard to find a photo of him of the internet but he's so prolific and people just still today want to uncover things about him or you buy an Where, album like i got regis had his unit my dad had to buy it for me because it was in wrapped in plastic yeah. i was under 18 and you play this album over 458 over. billion times whereas i couldn't tell you track three on an album yeah. at the moment yeah but, which yeah I you think, know it backwards you know that the, 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 the moment lyrics, where the, yeah. the song ends and it goes to that quiet <laughs> yeah, sound. Yeah. Like that's, I was the same with, with CDs and stuff. Or remember but, the mystery track. Like, so you'd leave, yeah. you'd leave a CD playing and you go to the yes. kitchen and make yourself a cup of tea and all the, the track music comes starts yeah, again. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. We are all in the same kind of demographic that we kind of got the best, we got the, the end tale of the discovery. Like mm -hmm. growing up, we bought records, I read lyrics, I'd go to the CD store, but then you kind of in the new way. I, I don't see it. it's there's pros to both. Mm. I think because you do Maybe like ticket sales with us, like, now. you know, we got a top five hit in Italy based off the internet. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and like, your Italian background. But you know what I mean? We, that would never have happened. <laughs> yeah. And my, and my mafia. So <laughs> yeah. no, no. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? So the discovery is still there, but it's a different form. It's not, it doesn't have that, the art or the authenticity that yeah. it used to have, I think. Because I've got kids. I, I, very, I, try and, I try and limit my whole, oh, it was so much better before yeah, because wanna, it's so much, it's so easy to say that. Open. But also it was better back then because you had no stresses and you weren't old. Like, yeah. <laughs> True. That's also a reason. Yeah, but that's what always people say. You know, like back when I was a kid, things were so much easier. Yeah, of course they were. You had no kid, mortgage, you did. You were a kid. Yeah, it was <laughs> easy back then because you were a kid. Yeah, I know. You being you, a kid is yeah. the end of that whole thing. It's so good. <laughs> hey, let's talk um, because this is introducing. Let's. We want to know how you guys got together. I met Monty for the first time in Brisbane um, as a record rep. 10, 13 years ago, I reckon. Yeah. 2007. What about you guys? You were a record. No, rep. no, no, I was. He was. Well, I'm not he was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he knows this. When I worked at Sony, I used to take artists into Nova Brisbane. Yeah. So once a to, year, he was like, <laughs> he, he, um, I met Blackwell then, and then that's I didn't see you for like ten years. And then we we reconnected yeah. three years three years ago. Four yeah. Years ago. So what about you guys? How did you lay eyes on each other and realize that maybe you might want to do something together with music? I'll let Elliot take this because he's... We were like, we knew each other already. We played in a pop, like yeah. a pop punk band together for lack of and a that, So if you want to know the first time I ever... you got to go open. Well, yeah. I, I will like, and it's not pretty. Like, so he came in and he was he was auditioning in this band that we were, we were with and, and he was... He had these, the these he oh. made this point. This is what I remembered. And because I was just like, but I was also a pretty cocky. I was 16. We'd been at this stage, we we're playing in this, this pop punk band that had been picked up by this guy called Chris O'Brien, who managed Body Jar and this other band called Four Amusement Only, who were both massive bands in Australia at the time. And then they just put us straight out on tour with, with our, basically our heroes. So like MXPX and the Ataris. And oh, the Atari, like I don't, I can't even the name. Like there well, was Chris, so Chris many. Chris went on just, to go do Soundwave as well. So yeah. like he, like if you, that's where the link would be. Like Chris mm. O'Brien is, yeah, he's basically Soundwave and one of those big players. So yeah, Monty came in, and like he had these these yellow wrap around Oakley Sunnies. Oakley Sunnies. <laughs> and, and he's always like, been ahead of the time. I was fascinated with. I curve. was sitting behind the drums, <laughs> like you won't believe it. They look. This is can, what he did. Yeah, and like look at these things. That's. I met him because I, oh, hey, hey, look at these, they bend and they twist and you can do you anything. Play, you no, because I was being cock, I was being cocky. I was like, 
uh, yeah, hey man, nice glasses. Like for but a, he for took a it, slip cord. He took it like, oh, nice glasses. You like yeah. them? So he started showing them to me, and he's like, he's like, look, I can even put them on the ground. He's like stamping on them. He's like, they won't break. I was they very impressed with the technology of the glasses. So Monty joined the band, and our yeah. singer was crap. We used to do and, this shit to him. And then so then we used to, oh man, some of the stuff we so used to do to him, things. we could tell. But can you play me a little bit of that band? Have you got? Have you anything stick out in your mind that? Like, nah, we can't bring that band back to life. We really, we can't play a bit. Of it? Of just what? 10 Braxton? seconds. Yes, yeah. yes. This is how far yeah. back we want to go. A song called Set It Off, but yeah, just to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to do it now. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely I, what I, I mean. I, I can play you the rip. We yeah, can't that, sing it no, that's all I want. I want to I hear how this band sounds. Set it off. Can you play the. Oh, no, get a, get, let's get it on. All right, I'll sing a little bit of the. This is the lyrics. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, we're going to do the lyrics. I'll put them in notes down. I can't remember the lyrics, but they're fucking hilarious, and it was part of the reason. And then it was, hello, welcome to this high-tech age. I can't remember this. Yeah, it's like, no. <laughs> like, no small child can be safe with all the terrorists that bombs away. The internet took all our brains. Africa explodes with AIDS. It's crazy. Did you say explodes with AIDS? That's what the lyric was. Africa explodes with AIDS. It's crazy. Then it was. It's crazy. Let's get it on. And then there was another lyric in there that said something like McCartney. He's like McCartney says that he's he wrote the worst lyrics. McCartney says that he's the greatest plagiarist there is. And he paved the way, and now today we're plagiarizing him. McCartney wins. <laughs> that oh. was like, it's, but it's, that for me was like, I'm I'm out of this band. I'm fucking. So that's why. <laughs> why? Like, what was the moment? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what the moment was. He used I'm to almost wear the, out of this podcast. Let's just, yeah, yeah, fully. He used to wear these shoes, right? He used to have these loafers. Oh, here we go. We're going deep now. He used to have guy. these loafers that we hated. So yeah, like we got so to the bitchy, point this where we like... threw one of them out of the van, <laughs> so, so, so he no, couldn't slow find. Down, slow, slow down. So we're in the middle of nowhere, in like in like Gundagai on tour somewhere, and we're like we couldn't get him to not wear him. So we're like if we throw one out, <laughs> yeah, he can't he say it's one. not it's us, and he can't really just wear one. <laughs> so, it was great. Was... It was actually quite ingenious, like the, the plan. But anyway, so that's and so then Elliot went off and and started his dad. Or oh, you tell the story. Well, no, I was so I was like. I'd started hanging out with this guy. I'd, I'd gone, I was at the conservatorium and by this stage you got, I was out of school cause that, that was all at school time. And I was doing this um, popular music degree, which is really talented people. A lot of people that I kind of became friends with. Also a lot of people that went on to do cool so stuff. Ian like, was there, right? Yeah. Ian Perez, who's was with Wolf Mother, which yeah. I went on to do Wolf Mother with. And then now he's with Xavier Rudd. And, and so then I was, I was hanging out with this guy called Aaron Jackson, who I started Delta Riggs with. We, we started the, the, the band together. But he was coming around to my house and he was like, he didn't know any, he knew, he knew four chords, all power chords. We used to write these songs. And so the first jam we had, we wrote a bunch of songs and then we like kicked in for the jam. I was the drummer. He was the guitarist. We we're going to be like the White Stripes. And, um, oh, brilliant. And so we got through the first song and he was giving it everything. Like, but the bottom line was like the guy just couldn't sing. Like he was so out of tune. And at this stage, I wasn't a singer either. I was still a drummer. And so we got to the end of the song and he turned around. And he's like, what do you reckon? I'm like, well, man, like the song's rad, but you can't sing. <laughs> like, and I'm like, 
and I can't sing either, but I know I can sing better than that. Yeah, so like, yeah. we've got to get a drummer now because like I'll figure it out because like what we got is not going to work. We went through a few drummers before we got Rudy, who was actually Rudy from the Delta Rigs, yeah, who yeah. was the first drummer. And by that stage, we'd gone through a couple of bass players and then Monty. And then I was just like, I'll come. I'm come like, in. I'll just play. And I was the root note. I didn't know. Never picked He was a bass. guitarist. Was he a was a guitar just like, player in the other band. Yeah. So like. So, Rudy on the drums. They had a show at the Hard Rock Cafe in Surfers Paradise. On the, oh, uh, right. The, the yeah, did Rudy, was it Rudy or was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And then um, and then me and Aaron Jackson, obviously. So that was the, that was really the the first solid lineup that the people knew. But Before the, that, yeah. it was like we were just this jam band that played at the Hard Rock Cafe in yeah. Surfers. As long as we had 30 of our friends and like a few girls we didn't know that we thought we could yeah, like, we look were cool. cool in front of. Yeah, like, we had a rental We crowd. were made in the shade. Like we, we, There's yeah. been like... The, we never thought that band was going to... We just yeah. were like, this is... We're fucking killing There's it. been we're many like, iterations of the Delta Rigs over from this point he's Elliot's mm. describing now to where it got to. Mm. That it's changed so... Like the style, like everything. Well, where did it start? Play us, play us something that... I, can, I know that, exactly. Play us the song yeah, that yeah, is the first... The first... Incarnation of the Delta Rigs, and this isn't released anywhere, so that we can we can actually play the whole if song can, for you. And you can edit yeah. out Emma Is the mic okay? And it, if I can actually remember the lyrics to this song, yeah, but, but um, and it was about me um driving home from the Cool and News Agency because that's where I would work, and I would get really upset because I'd go out and party, and then have to start there at five thirty in the morning <laughs> and do that to one, and I'd be like everyone else would be like asleep. One, two. Two o'clock and I'm heading home I got a pack of cigarettes and I'm feeling gone And there's a drink with my name on it Ten bucks and about a hundred K's And it was fast off all that money I made But it's well spent I'm rolling on and on and baby, go and get yourself a second job. Well, you must be fucking crazy. Hate the one that I got. Wait one minute, I got something to say. Why won't you give me back half of my pay? And I don't know why I ain't got no hate. I piss up on the weekends and sleep in late when you're lonely. Nothing else to do. That was basically that was the, the song. Well, the lyrics are better than the last band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah no mention of AIDS this no, time. No cool. AIDS exploding. But that was kind of like That's we awesome were a country though. kind of. Yeah. We had country. Uh, we wanted to be we, country and we smoked Kent charcoal filter <laughs> cigarettes. And then we thought we were real serious country band. So we, we were trying to be like. We were like a blues Creedence Clearwater. Yeah. Like, That's where we kind of started. And then yeah. we progressed on we got we kind of went through this little deal and then we we'll got talk about we, that so what 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 how did you did you have a meeting because you initially talked about elliot actually moved to sydney first right like and then we all kind of came this band had given me a thousand dollars i was still just touring with bands just for fun so they're like we're gonna give you a thousand dollars to come to sydney and play that so that was that was like i've never had a thousand dollars what do you yeah, mean when you, like, yeah, it's, 10 years, like it was years that ago. was it seemed to be a lot of money of course yeah. Sony wanted to sign this band that I was playing with. And as I was signing them, I remember being at this um, A&R meeting one day and I'd positioned myself. This, you can't write this shit. This is just so true. I was so hungover. 
that I'd walked in. I made sure that I got in because I knew JD, the A&R guy, had a little bin next to his desk around the corner. I'm like, if I get in first, I'll be right next to that bin. And if the like the worst thing that can happen is I'm going to throw up, but yeah. I'm going to throw up in the bin. So You're prepared. It's, like, it's, it's, I've yeah. got a plan. Like a scout's on. I'm really clever. Yeah, I'm you a are. clever drummer yeah, yeah, yeah. right now. Anyway, so in the whole thing, he was like, man, you know, he's this big, brash Jamaican guy with an English accent. He's on the pussycat dolls and shit. He's like, we need these fucking, we need these fucking rockers like Pete Dockett. He's shit. We know we're not fucking these, you know, like it's fuck the killers. It was because the killers are the hot item Just at the moment, out. and they're like, um, but and I, I was, th- it kills. was actually uh, killers are cool. Actually, it was actually yeah, that yeah. song that we just played. Yeah. that you showed him, right? Oh yeah, right. So later, I didn't want to do this in front of the band because this is kind of what I guess would be, you know, commonly known as something called mutiny or a conflict. Uh, of, no, a conflict <laughs> of interest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just text JD and I was like, "Listen, man, all that shit you were saying in the meeting, it's really cool, but this isn't the band. The band that you're talking about is this band. It's my band." We're from the Gold Coast. Here's our demo. And I sent him So Lonely and that I sent him just played, yeah. I sent him a review that Jordan from Bleeding Knees Club had, had come to our show and, and written this review about the band. I just sent him that and that. And then within two weeks, we had a, a record deal. It was and like I a, was because I was working at Sony at the time. So I got calls from, I'm like, they're like, you've got to come and do a showcase in front of Dennis. They ended up signing the band. We moved down to Pete's Ridge. So that's yeah. the fir- our first... Our first EP was done on the Gold Coast. The second two, Tolupo Mountain Music 1 and 2, volume yeah. one, that was the house we actually all decided. We like I quit the job. Everyone, Everyone quit. quit their life. Everyone's like, we got signed. The- we got signed to a label. But we were, we're quitting our shit. <laughs> we're coming out- everywhere. We're yeah. coming out of this time, though, where we're still under the impression that, like, well, Wolf Mother just made yeah. $3.2 million and like when we've yeah, got a like, deal, yeah, we're going like, to make... And so, but we, it was right at that time where like all of a sudden people aren't buying CDs. The whole thing is fucking turning, you know. So like we're like, they're like, what do you want? We'll give you anything. We could have asked for whatever we want. And what but we they, wanted was we just want to go and live on the top of a mountain with us and a bunch of gear and take acid and just jam. We were getting back to what you were saying about this kind of thing about creating some mystery with the artist. Yes. We're trying to maintain that and we're like, look... We could saturate. There was a lot of bands at the time. Bleeding Knees Club was one. There was another band called the Cassette Kids. Um, uh, there's another one called Pokemon, Operator, Please. The oh, yeah, yeah. And the song yeah. about ping yeah. pong. Who were who were kind of saturating in retrospect, probably like at All the from forefront. The at the forefront of what how you really now these days need a brand your band. But we were still trying to be like we're just music guys that we like. We want to just be the guys that live in the mountains and come out and play some shows and do some kooky stuff mm-hmm. and we we all lived there and that's we lived it though like we proper lived we it lived Tim. It. we, we were like a- dropping acid on every other week we were r- rolling through we had this 80 acre orange plantation orchid um orange was it orchid but it was an orange orchid. oh sorry yeah yeah, B- yeah. Banana it was an orange orchid, orchid orange, yeah Orange orchid. Yes, yes we'll, it was. we'll get Costa calling him from the gardening <laughs> show. Totally. Well, everyone will just get online. Actually, in fact, it's, a, it's called an orange orchid, not a plantation <laughs> on the internet. You know, we tomatoes don't... are actually a fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's so many funny stories from that. So it was like the pub that we would frequent was really fucking rough. It was a glorified demountable um, called the Pete's Ridge. No, uh, no, the, country, Bolling, the Mangrove Mountain the Mangrove Country, Country Club. Mountain Country Club. Yeah. And this is, again, like just also at this time we will be rolling around in Cuban heel boots and our girlfriend's fake fur jackets, scarves. We all had, you know, and we'd we'd saunter into this joint. I love this though. I love this. We thought we were in the 70s. We're trying to live it. We're living your best life. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of place like you wouldn't last two seconds in there dressed like this. But so what we did, and we we knew there was a bit of resistance, but the locals, these cavemen, gorilla folk, were kind of curious. <laughs> they were sniffing around, trying, what the fuck are these dudes up to? 
So we agreed with this is a genius. We were like, Anzac Day was coming up. And we were like, go to the bar. And we're like, listen, it's Anzac Day. We're, we're, we're hanging around for all. We've got a six month lease. We're not going anywhere. We don't want any, any trouble. So we're gonna, we'll perform for free. We'll do two sets at the, at the country club. You can just hand around a hat, whatever happens, you know, like, and after that, and we did that. And like we, we made were, like we were like demigods. We, like after the, that, you, and the whole we were like no one area. could fucking touch like, us. We it could walk matter. around we wearing whatever we, we wanted. We complete like women's clothing if we wanted to, <laughs> and people would still just like we made like four hundred and seventy bucks or we, something. We, we did right. We did right by the small little town. We we did mm. them right, yeah. and they never forgot it. So that's how we started as a band because we lived on that mountain. We played that gig then because they're all farmers. They just used to fucking They'd rock, rock up, up at with our food, house food for us, and we were hungry. Full of avocados, like <laughs> honestly, we were so hungry. Song like, for an avocado. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just bring avocado because they were avocado <laughs> farmers or like all the veggies. See, you were true, mid old. They'd roll Sorry, in tomatoes for a ditty. We had bags. We had bags of weed like this, and they'd come and smoke weed with us, and like they, they would they'd do sit that. Sit around the fire, and we just <laughs> bring the weed for them. We all lived together for six months. We lived together for all of you, the whole Everyone. seven people in a seven boys, and and various whoever had a girlfriend at the time would come in as well and also be kind of living there. Yeah, yeah right. so we all lived together. Then we booked, we stupidly booked a residency, which is a four week booking at the Giran Hotel in the Blue Mountains on a Wednesday, then at the Workers Club for our first ever shows in Melbourne on Sunday. So we'd leave on a Tuesday. <laughs> Wednesday and Sunday, Wednesday. the workers. We'd leave on Wednesday. We'd drive, all of us, we'd all live together. We'd drive to the the Blue Mountains. We'd play a set. We'd, play, we'd stay the night in the Blue Mountains. Then we'd drive down to Melbourne over two days, wait till Sunday, oh play a set, go back on Monday. Stay Monday, Tuesday, and we were all living together. So it was like but it Melbourne got... started to grow. Melbourne started Melbourne, to get big. Melbourne, by the That's why we ended... we sold it out. But but yeah, right. but Katoomba, they're funny. I remember this other funny story about. Remember that guy's name was Craig with the he's that kind of good looking hippie dude. And it, the first time we played Katoomba, there was like maybe fifteen people there. And he's like, "Fellas, I'm telling you now, you're onto something. Next week, <laughs> I guarantee you, this place is going to be packed. There's going to be people out the door. I'm going to spread the word. Go around to the next week. He wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that dude didn't even turn up. Weeks a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, so then we we kind of started building. So then we were like, all right, Melbourne is our sound. Like Melbourne, we were playing they with a band it, yeah. called yeah. the Frowning Clouds. Guitars as well. Melbourne rent, was yeah. it was like so. We all ended up moving to Melbourne. We got dropped by the label, just and then because nothing was happening, they didn't want to develop bands and, and everything. So we got dropped, and we're like, fuck. We were, we were up in arms. Two of the guys had left the band after spending that much time with us. So we were, Elliot. I remember. Uh, well, Aaron left. Like, I'll that's never weak. forget the conversation, Elliot, because Aaron, the guy who started the band, Elliot called me. He's like, I don't know what to do. Like we don't know. Aaron, the guy that started the band left. Yeah, Aaron started the band. <laughs> what did he you was do the in that And he was a main songwriter. Aaron, Aaron with got Elliot. me in the band. That's it. like when he left. It was like. That's pretty big. I was like, almost, we almost ended. Credit to Elliot, and I don't think I've ever told him this. Is like he had this moment of like, Aaron was my like, we wrote the songs together, so I can't take this. I don't know if I'm able to do this. But then Rudy and I stepped up a little bit, and like then it kind of became the Delta Rigs of now. So we wrote this, and we had never had Triple J play, and then we put this. We we got like two days in this studio in Melbourne, Mm. and we when we pulled out this. Let's have a listen. So we pulled out this. So I'll. Play the riff. You want the riff? There's always protest music too. I want to rattle the cage that I was put in by the man's hell. And it's about Aaron. I want to carry the flame that you are left to get a desk job. Which was... Try not to preach, we forgot long ago. 
a little something for your body and your soul. I said, you, all we need it. Anyway, so that was like. That was the first Triple J song. It was a slight stab at Aaron for bailing on us and yeah. going to get a normal job and going back to being a council worker, which he was, which has also gave us all the inspiration. And I think without going too far back into it, like in that comment that I just said there about the counter-revolution being the first song that got Triple J play, and it also was just a social commentary song and a bit of a protest song, which is a bit of a theme that the rigs have had. It's either we've got a, we're like you and we have a problem with something or we're talking about your blue-collar working-class problems. That's a big thing for the band and it also came from Aaron too who yeah. was very much and it was kind of like, like a, that so when he left it was a bit of like a fuck, fuck you, you but he left something with you like yeah you but it was also it, like yeah. this really yeah. cathartic Tribute. moment as well for us because we'd been dropped by this label and we didn't know what we're like how are we going to go on and then we'd never had any success with them we'd release something with them and nothing they couldn't get anything away on Triple J. And then we released this thing independently. And then all of a sudden, Triple So, how J. does that turn into an album then? Let's talk about your first album. Yeah. I know so, that Hex Love a Killer it was yes. the first record. Yep. I think Elliot came up with a title. It was, And I remember we were, you, you come up with titles and you're just sending them around. You're like, your titles not. are pretty hectic, by the way. Let's everything run, let's everything run, run through sucks. The titles. Yeah, yeah. Hex then Love a Killer. Dips. Zebasios. That's it. Is that like Guzman y Gomez? <laughs> it is. It's it's unusual, you know? So it, it brings you back. If back you to the Galactic, I get. Yeah. And Modern Pressure, I get, which I love that single, by the way. That's what one which of the Modern Pressure. Oh, the actual title track. Yeah, yeah, the title track. We can play that, that single. Later we'll do that later. Yeah. But tell us about the first album and then does this solidify things? Because still things, if you don't mind me saying, still things feel a bit loose. Like it, it feels like you haven't gone. This is a career. This is a job. This is the group of people I want to do it with. Yeah, but it is. We just haven't had that luxury of being able. Like it's uh, at some point. But I love this, it. I'm just saying. Yeah, when, no, no. when does that? When does it turn from A to B? Well, yeah, it was that a, direction. The first record, I think, it really was because we worked in a real studio at the Grove with like we're at, oh, yeah. up at the Grove before Scott owned it. Pretty crazy because Hillsong owned it, mm. and um, and they were and. And we were, um, you know, right coming out. I mean, the fucking album was called Hex Lover Killer. Yeah. And there was a lot of going off the back of how we'd written a lot of the stuff coming from the farm, Mushroom and Acid-inspired songs. I remember like the... To Breaking Bread and Red Wine. Well, the glass, the, glass window, the glass window it going into the studio said we'd written cult members only. Yeah. And then we had incense <laughs> and a goat skull burning... Constantly, we've, like we've always classic been a, pranksters. We've so, always been well, advocates you know, of, of setting up a vibe and yeah. like, get like fucking relics of stuff and 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 hang burn incense and we get all these kind of things to really vibe it up. Yeah. I guess and that's what we did for the first time. Ever. We had a bunch of weird, like some wild stuff in there because the album was trying to get into this voodoo-y uh, voodoo-y kind of, New Orleans kind of Doctor John esque mix. And we we were coming out of like the 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 first stuff is this like I'd said before this protest music social commentary with a real punk coming from the punk background you know but then we started to this is the first album which is where we started to understand tracking in the studio like was different to Being how live. our live shit was because we'd play live in the studio as well yeah. record that's so how we did it we'd we'd start to move that stuff around and then we like. The, the big breakthrough was this thing that we got, which, which was like what we call a double drum kit kind of production, which was getting a, a small drum kit with real cheap, the cheapest microphones we could find. So cheap Russian microphones, are literally yeah, so $20 like microphones. Or something, like, like, and <laughs> getting this real clunky dry sound mm. and then getting a big drum sound 
and pushing Marrying them in them. together to get this kind of gorillas, Beastie Boys style crossover of what we call like a double, like a flaming kind of situation. Yeah, it's still got the tones of the like the beautiful, yeah. but it's got the the crunch of it's the shitty this. one. So it's like this weird. I like that. It and is. That was, it's fucking awesome. So that was that was a big thing that Rudy and I were trying to figure out, and then we'd also been trying to because this is the final piece to the puzzle, which I think started here and then eventuated in Dipsabazis, which we'll get to. But we we have always loved the hip-hop production and West Coast hip-hop production and the dry style, stylistic values of it. And we never really had figured out how do we incorporate this into a, a, a white rock and roll band that's influenced from by the, the Gold blues, Coast. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, you know, how is that Cocktails and Dreams. From the Goldie. Like, yeah. yeah. Cocktails and Dreams to grunge. But and totally. Yeah. Shooters. But, it, you, yeah. you know, you live it. We lived it for a bit. So that was the the combination of finding this production, which you can hear on, which we could bring up. We'll whenever bring, up ready little, bring it up yeah. This uh, West Coast piano part. The, the double yeah, the, drum kits and then the, the percussion, which was the very much the Beastie Boys in sounds from way out, having the congas and the maracas and kind of that that set a groove for us, which ended up going into the next two records. Which but then, meant, and then, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but the, the, that song that Ellie's talking about, the one we just played a mm. sample of, like, you know, that was 2013. Then, like, six years later, we get an email from our publisher saying that they want to use it in like Lucifer and its song in as in the States. So it's like, it's got this sound that's like so unique to itself that it's it's it kind of stands out. So it's almost like a timeless thing again. Like it's like uh, it turned into like a stylistic like blueprint. That's what the rigs yeah. sound like. And now, even though that wasn't a big, that wasn't even a single. This was like, oh fuck, we're onto something there. Mm. How do we turn that into our sound? Which then rolled into the next album, which was Dip Zabazius, and then the first single was a song called Supersonic Casualties, which for me is one of my favourite songs. And yeah, also it probably is, yeah, it's a great probably one of the songs that people know us for because it had that that sound and that was directly from Street Signs and Brake Lights, but it was an addition of then going into the second sample that we were talking about. We started working with Dave Atkins from this band called Resin Dogs. So Resin Dogs probably ahead of their time and um really uh Full on as as far as their approach to production and stuff goes. So I'd met Dave through Wolfmother because I was working with them for a little bit. I was up there and he's like, oh, we're going through drummers at the moment, but I'll get Dave from Resin Dogs to come in and just have a jam with us. Do you know him? I'm like, well, yeah. Like he's, I've seen him on Recovery and shit. Like, yeah. He does the stand-up drumming. He's famous. He's like from yeah. the Resin Dogs. Like yeah. I've seen him play at like Livid Festival in Brisbane and shit. Like, yeah. And he comes in and, and he, they go, he's the only guy I was like so they go they just launched into this eight and a half minute version of of woman you know and he gets and on the downward motion he's hitting that floor time he leans down and picks up this one liter bottle of chocolate milk and I've never seen anything like that in my life I'm like Holy shit! Like, like he's nailing the, the drum part, but also nailed drinking the drum milk. part. Nailed the drum part. He said he's twelve at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. he's like a giant twelve-year-old. He's year a old. big guy, yeah. and as a drummer myself, 
when I do a really big song on drums, the last thing I'm reaching for is a one one liter bottle of chocolate milk. So that was I just it was burned into my memory. I'm no, like, that guy's that. an alien, like machine. But then the, this is like so. This is the second record, Dips Basius, right? This is where we're heading. Yeah. To this. So we call up Dave. So so anyway, we this is when this is when the Delta Rigs as a as an entity became from like what we've been working for for sets four years, five years beforehand and getting no traction or just building it mm. to this next record, which is with the other song I was just talking about, Supersonic Casualties. Let's hear a little bit of it. Can we hear a little we'll bit? play that chord. Yeah, so I can play the, to hear that. The intro one chord, which this is the setup, I which I, I want to talk about the beat. Yeah, go. The beat, the beat we've got. is not actually in, in, in the final song, but it actually influenced the whole song. So the, that chord there, which is... So simple. It's just an E jazzy style it's chord. A, it's like what we'd call a diminished chord. Going into this Pharrell Williams style shit that we loved because we loved NERD. So we're trying to like, baby. Anyway. Yeah, great. So we, we got that beat going. The combination of the three things was basically Rudy playing those chords and he put a, a delay pedal on and got a slide, which would create this kind of like psychedelic effect. And then on top of that, we laid down this the same West Coast piano thing that we were doing on Street Suns and Brake Lights, but with a delay on it again to give it this, like, kind of blink, 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 like, uh, like a West, like the, West Coast Drake, kind of acid chronic, house you know, thing. Blink, and, then we, blink, blink, and then Dave Atkins came in with the, the MPC and the double drum kit. We already had the double drum kits going, but then he sampled those same drum kits. But there also another interesting fact about that song, right, is we were in London we landed some awesome stuff based on the back of that record. So we're in we're in London. We're playing to forty people, right? And we're there, and we had this we had this guitar player from England at the time because he was just there with us, and he was out. He was an, he was yeah. There was all this bullshit going on, and there was this label coming to see us in London. There was forty people in the room, and our drummer Simo at the time. Simo comes up to us, our drummer, literally is about to walk in just to put more pressure on Jimmy Page. Is here? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, dude. Really? Dude, yeah, fucking oath. And I look up and he's there and he's got his white hair and a ponytail and he's standing at the back of the bar just drinking a lemon squash with a couple of his buddies, right? Lemon squash? Yeah. The drink of rock stars. And, then, and this is going to link back to the song that we, Elliot was just talking about, Supersonic Casualties. So there was this weird wall that was kind of half petitioned through the thing. So we were playing in the stage here and the bar was here. So uh, you can't see, but on the left and the right. But then every now and then you'd, I'd look and I, because you'd just be watching because you know Jimmy Page is in the audience. You're like, is he watching us? And you'd see him come out and just be like rocking out. And he particularly rocked out to the supersonic casualties. So like I made it, I was like, I'm a talker. Put off, I was sweating and went straight to find Jimmy Page. And I was like, thank you for being here. But why are you, why are you here? Like there's yeah. 40 people here. Jimmy Page was one of 40. Like Jimmy, Led Zeppelin, you know, we're talking. Is like, it because he hates his family? No, he was like, <laughs> oh, I often walk up the road. I just live up the I road. I don't do accents. All right. I often, all right. All right <laughs> no, so I'm, I apologize. But that's how he sounded. I walk no, up, I like I, it. I, I, I do, live do, up the road. Please do it. Please oh, do it. I live up the road and I often walk Oh, down. you know, governor. Like, yeah. I live up the road. Sounds like, yeah. like Noel Fielding. And he said, you know, his, his friend's daughter was playing in the band after us. And he goes, what's that song where, you know, your buddy was playing the Hawaiian chords and you had this really groovy bass line going and the drummer was just, I was like, oh, super, it's a new single. We just, we haven't even put that out yet. He goes, oh, it's a great fucking song, mate. I'll never forget this moment. I've got a photo of it to immortalize it, right? It may press back in Australia while we were in London. It's like, because there was a photo that went out, people picked it up. And then this is a link to our great friend Sticky Fingers. 
Seamus from Sticky Fingers was like, I just fucking saw it because he loves Jimmy Page. He goes, who the fuck yes. are these fucking Delta Riggs pricks? Yes. That's how he like, sounds too. You know, yeah. like, you know, like fucking, I want Jimmy Page to come to my thing, in my shows, you know. So that's how we kind of got familiar with those guys moving forward. Yeah. Now, how I have met them, I remember distinctly. Paddy came to me on the street outside Oxford Arts Factory. This is just purely ego-driven. Like as it is with everything we do in life. Of course. He came up to me and just because I was just decided to just to be a dick that night, he'd come up and he's like, listen, man, um, people are uh, coming up all the time thinking I'm Elliot from the Delta Riggs. I need to ask you, does that ever come, do people ever come up and say, are you Patty from Sticky Fingers? Because it's happening so much to me. And it'd been happening heaps, but I just went, it's never happened in my life. No. <laughs> the best response. Yes. You, sorry. Yes. The yeah. best response. 100%. Oh, that's brilliant. Which is, that's how I became friends. So you, I didn't know Seamus at this stage, but that's how I became friends. No. Yeah. But then from no. that, okay, just to keep this story going, the, from that record, we ended up, we were in the States touring. This is like another great story. That's just, I feel like the Delta Riggs have been like, fortuitous in uncanny situations. But I love your stories. The no, stories is what this is all this about. Is so I mean. tell like, your like stories. We, we're like one of those bands that we're no one, one will bands. ever remember, but they had some good stories. It's like, we're like, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be like no, myself. Good things happen. Like, uh, I remember, a what, Blackwell? <laughs> I, saying this, I say like when yeah, I, if I told part. my 20-year-old self what I what would happen when I'm, by the time I'm 35, like all the stuff you do. So anyway, so this is, this is a really important story for us because this was like a moment in time. So that record had come out with Supersonic Casualties and, we were in New York. I remember, I never remember. I got a call from Cam Price, our buddy at Sony, and he's like, "You guys have got feature album." Like, and he wasn't. We weren't even with Sony, but he was our mate, and we used to be with Sony. He's like, "This is on the Jays." Yeah, on the Jays. He's like, also, sorry to interrupt, Monty, because I know okay. it's important. The, the, we were quite bummed because we had be, we were in New York, but playing a show that we'd played to about eleven people. Yeah. On the day our album was coming out. So we walked off the yeah, stage pretty right. kind of cut. And I got a call from him saying, you feature out. We just got announced this feature. I'm like, that's amazing. Like, fuck. And then we flew back to LA, right? And we flew back for a Monday night. It was like a it was like a club night on, at this show. And it was a band that had a residency and they'd filled the venue. And we we got on like as a main support. And no one fucking knew who we were. But it was like three, the satellite. There was 300 people in the room. And it was one of those shows, like, and I'll never forget this because it was like I remember playing it. No, everyone was just standing there. But by the end of it, Elliot was had the fucking the show of his career at that point. This is how fucking good we can be sometimes. Yeah, right. We were good. <laughs> if it's all, yeah. if we're we good. turned it yeah. on, and so by the end of it, the whole crowd who did not know who we were when we started, within forty minutes, we had them in the palm of our hands. Anyway, we could have been the Strokes by this stage. So this is how we felt. So we went all night. Then we flew back and our manager at the time messaged me. He's like, don't check your socials. I've got, I'm going to meet you at the airport. I've got some exciting well, news. As soon as someone says that, right? don't check your socials. So we landed. We landed back in Sydney. We'd flown all night. And within that flight, yes, all this stuff had been arranged. It was a 14-hour flight. So the night, the LA show that we were at the night before, the, the, someone from the Foo Fighters management, Foo Fighters, were at the show. And they were like, they saw us turn this whole crowd around, and the and the the tour was booked. It was Foo Fighters, Rise Against, and they had they Violent had, Soho. Was they had Violent Soho yep. apparently, and then so the, the he called up Frontier, the, the 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 manager, and was like, I've just seen this band, the Delta Riggs, and we need them on the tour because they're just fucking amazing. So unbeknownst to us, as we're fucking haggard and we've we've been on two hours sleep. I, I get landed in Sydney, I turn on my phone, I get these all these notifications because I had all the, the, the Twitter and stuff. It's like Delta Riggs are supporting the Foo Fighters. But I'm like, what? What's going on? And Jazz had met us there with this little sign, like <laughs> Foo Fighters sign. But I already knew. I was like, 
Oh, so so basically in the Broke flight, his heart, like in the flight, we we had they'd organized uh, like we would literally because of all of that. Out of all of that came, and then like four or five months later, we're on tour doing like Suncorp Stadium. ANZ Stadium, like we were, we were the opening act for the Foo Fighters in a stadium, huge for six huge. shows, right? It was the start of the Kush tour lifestyle. <laughs> and that's when, like, you know, we had twenty minutes. Like the Foo Fighters tour was fucking. It was we'd never been exposed to this, right? So like, we're like, oh, it's fuck, it's amazing. So we, we, the first show was Suncorp Stadiums, and I was, re- I never get nervous. I got a bit nervous because it's like a huge. It's like you're a football field. You're playing a football. I field. interviewed Ed Sheeran before he went out to his first Suncourt Stadium show, and I couldn't believe because it is a cauldron. It is that whole. Yeah, it feels like you're a gladiator because the this is like we are a, a working class rock and roll band coming from this punk scene that's what used to playing club shows. When you walk from your your backstage room onto the stage, which is maybe a one meter. And you maybe your your backstage room is one. You got to push squared. through the crowd to you get know, on your stage. Go into then the Suncorp Stadium where it's like this is gladiator shit. All yeah. of a sudden, it's a twelve minute walk yeah. from your dressing room to get to the stage. Ed Sheeran was on a Segway. That, yeah. that, that, that was more. <laughs> that, that was more of a snapshot of the time. But I know exactly what you're saying. And now look where we are. But yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so that like we we got exposed to this like all of a sudden we got thrust. Like it was literally a thrust because we'd been, and the, the the juxtaposition of it was we went from like Suncorp Stadium, ANZ Stadium, Eddie Had Stadium, like where the footies played. We're a big AFL fan, so it was like as are you, Tim. So like we're playing Eddie Had Stadium, like this is unfuck it, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like this I can't, is coming from just wanting to do from the, the, Gold Coast. the Hard Rock Cafe in Surface Paradise. Yeah. yeah, but then we like after a while because we did come from that punk it roots. Chris Shiflett, the, the he's he's the guitar player from the Foo Fighters, used to play in a band called Nose for a Name. Big band for us, for a big really, punk that records yeah, band. A punk this band is like a, no a sh- effects, like no yeah. effects, strung we knew, out. We knew Nose Chris. For a name. We knew of Chris Shiflett well before ten the years. Foo well, then you should yeah. have been you should have been with me because I remember when I very quickly was asked in um, in Perth to interview the Foo Fighters, and they said, "So Tim, you got the Foo Fighters at eleven a.m. Tuesday." It's just Chris Shiflett. <laughs> but he, yeah, yeah, fully. But that's because like, everyone wants David. Yeah, got, but everyone's no, Dave or Taylor. Everyone wants David. Oh, of course. You know what? Because well, forgive me. Forgive me. Because I do a commercial radio yeah, show. Yeah, you want you David. You want Dave and Taylor. Yeah. But Chris was, what I was meant to say was he was very, he was incredibly engaging, right. incredibly musical and very, very but easy to talk to. So we formed this bond with Chris because, and he would like come to our dressing room. So would like, Dave the and opening, Taylor. The opening band, Taylor rocked in. You know, I still talk to Chris. Like we, t- we went to his house in Malibu. Like he invited us over. We had lunch with him. Like, and he ended up getting us our manager in the state. Like it's just all based off that one show that it we was, played in yeah. LA. You know, like and 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 it was, yeah. Like, but you are a great that. live band. You're a great live band, yeah. and people do take away experiences from that. Like I, I know before I even listened to a record of yours, I'd seen you live, and you walk away, and that's what it's all about. That's it's the experience. Yeah, but we're almost us- one of those bands that the like of you, we were talking about off air the Ramones. Our live show is almost bigger than our record, our our, our, our presence on record. So people often discover us through our live show more. But do you think? Than can I do. ask you a question? Because I think the so I was a huge MGMT fan, and then I saw them live. No, yeah, you can and go the so other way. You they but they to their credit, I remember interviewing them as well. They they made a record just to make a record, and then go back to sleep, like. They didn't expect to ever tour it, and I, yeah, I saw them at the American Music Festival, and they were woeful, to be honest. And I know they knew that too. I would assume being a live band first is 
the best way to go. Well, well I the, so. but the the challenge for us was, which is what we were talking about earlier in this interview, was we knew how to play live. That was what we we knew. But for us, what got us across the line was figuring out how to actually record ourselves, which is why I wanted to talk about the the street signs and brake line stuff and the supersonic stuff and mm. and moving into actually getting acknowledged on the radio because like you you just made a great point some bands tried to figure out how to play live we already had been doing that for 15 for, years for we were trying to figure years. out how to get that energy but it's a bit like a stand up comedian the... for 10 years gets a job on the radio or the tv totally live surely has to come first it's yeah. not a chicken or an egg thing it surely is because you're on the you fly need to, and, and, you need to be, prove to me that you can do this shit it's a tightrope so you and learn no to walk happens, that little yeah, exactly. like line you know and then when and all of a sudden that line is like is work. It's just like the same as street performers like Tash Sultana. Like, you know, they learn to kind of execute the live thing. It's then trying to translate that onto the record. Food Fighters thing, you know, that really, like that whole record really stepped us up into a next echelon of like, we got experience and stuff. We'd never, and all by our own chance. And this is what like, uh, we've always been like, we're never, we're not, we're not like a cush band. We're not like a band that can like, you know, like a survive off this, and we're like the underdogs. It's like we've we've always been the underdogs. Well, can many? That's another question. Can many? Because what you do as a job is a lifestyle choice, and it's like I, I I can play an instrument a little bit, and I always liked. I've always wanted to be in a band, but never had the the balls to be really. Yeah, it's a, the sacrifice you, 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 need to you make. balls it it's early, sacrifice. and you've sacrificed it early. And does this still in say twenty twenty seem like a viable? thing i think so i don't understand how it is viable but um well it's not viable <laughs> isn't in an economical but mentally it is because it's like i'm 35 now and like it's like i would i remember seeing we tour with bands when we were 27 28 and i'd see the 32 year olds and like i don't want to be that guy like mm. doing this shit but we'd always get these little like at the bottom of the road like when we we'd all be questioning what are we doing this for like we get that food fighters tour and you're like mm. fuck all right we need to do that and then it happened get, last year as well, and like the, the same Billy thing. Idol. And then all of a sudden, Billy yeah, Idol, Billy yeah. Idol, and also I don't know if anyone saw, but we were our song "Never Seen This Before" was an MG sync campaign for, for China new, and New Zealand, and, and here, but, which was based off that. Um, again, going back to what we we're talking about, that that groove style thing. But Rudy and I were living in LA. In, we were hearing the Bee Gees on the radio all the time, living in LA, mm. and we were driving the Sunset Strip, and we're like, we want to fucking song that you can drive yeah. the sunset like strip to and like, like cocaine pretend record. you're in that every band needs their cocaine record <laughs> yeah. for and us active that was galactic was our cocaine that was our record. cocaine record yeah right yeah from active galactic to a modern pressure the modern pressure is the album is my favorite album. and i and yeah which is rare because i think a lot of people's first albums are their favorite why is that i feel like this one i feel like for me modern pressure was was it was like this really like opening up of elliot like lyrically like talking about stuff yep. earnestly, like you know, putting putting his heart on his sleeve. Do you agree bit, with that? A bit more, like I think so lyrically. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I definitely, I I'd been um, trying to hide behind this idea of like having a band of people around me for a long time and be a a, a tough, cool guy that didn't yeah, was, was like was, didn't, wasn't affected by anything. But realistically, that isn't me at all. And I, if if it wasn't for the other guys in the band, I wouldn't even be able to project that image so i think with modern pressure it was more so yeah just a little bit more of a a reality check in the way that i was trying to write the the lyrics but also we the way that we wrote it too the songs yeah 
we went up back up to the Gold Coast and we went there for a reason because A, that's where we'd come from from the start. B, we had realized that over the last few releases, we even with, you know, um, Active Galactin and everything, there was probably a bit too much drugs involved. There was probably a bit too much booze involved. There was a little bit... We weren't doing what you're we normally, we were trying to get back to this idea of like, remember when you're a kid and it's like a Wednesday night and you're seven and you just watch The Simpsons. But it's also, I can couch. imagine as an outsider, you know, it's like, a lifestyle it's thing. It's a real nostalgic and then, record. And then all of a sudden now you want to make yeah. some good well, and, you, yeah. and we're getting older as well. It's yeah. like you, you feel like as you get older, you express yourself more. Mm. You're open And you also, up. you know what? You don't care what people think as much either. And you I open think that's up, a you're huge able thing. to talk about stuff that, that you wouldn't normally talk about. Well, to me, with that, getting on that thing about not caring what, people think as much for me that was more so meeting sticky fingers to be honest because mm-hmm. once we kind of like got to understand and became friends with them and understand and understood that they were actually kind of like like us li- yeah like us but also living it and wearing it on their sleeves a bit more totally. whereas we were trying to just be a bit more like like give it the we cool wanna, brush we want to give you the, 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 the version roll. of the delta rigs that we want to give you it's like instagram when people you know, put their yeah. version of themselves at the perfect version but that's where that's where that's how modern pressure came out because we did we, it was a more honest approach and like if you listen to the songs and you really like it's really the it's for well, me give us a bit of modern pressure for Come me on, let's do for it. me yeah i can give you for me, I love, I love, the, I actually, I yeah, love that, this song. I feel like that's the best song we've ever released because it's this, it's this moment of like. And it was filmed at the Unicorn Hotel in Paddington, which is one of the great venues. How do you feel about the song, Elliot? Modern like Pressure? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I wrote it differently. Um, there's a video of me actually writing it in this point that we're talking about on the yeah, Gold well, Coast. Yeah, because I had the chorus and then Elliot um, wrote the verses. That's basically So right. Monty yeah. Monty gave me the, the chorus and then he just gave me the the chords to the verses. Well, but the verses a, are so my favourite part. Cracking the song. So verse, we, the second verse is the yeah, best. Go for it. Go we for wrote it. it on a piano. I was talking to a stranger. So yeah, just keep this going. So this part is actually at this time... I was in LA working with this Swedish artist called Elephant who is just about to release a record and she'd shaved her head and because she was trying to, she'd had this number one song in Australia and she's blown up in America and she was struggling with the the identity of having to put a face to that and, you know, name of this artist. So she was saying how this is why she shaved her head and anyway, this is the, so it goes, one, two. Well, I was talking to a stranger in a state of pain Who caught her hair, then changed her name I thought it was a notion I could take on board But as the day progressed, it only made me sore Hell, I gave it up, I had nothing to lose I'm in a beauty pageant wearing two left shoes I wasn't scared when I didn't bleed For all the complications you were safe with me Anyway, that was it. Oh, I like this bit. Oh, you want to go? Just right, go again. Cut it out when you want, but I love this Go back to this one. And far past the point yeah. Of what could be we could have had it all But we can't change the way we feel So don't pretend We can agree And don't change your mind And don't change for 
So that's the chorus. Now let's clink out cups of Jamison and say that we could do this for the next 10 hours. Okay. But boys, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate us being able to do this and I love you guys and we're going to finish now. But I want to, I want to ask you and think about this for as long as you want because I've, I've finished this way with everyone. Who would you like to introduce our listeners to? A band you're listening to, a friend of yours, Who's uh, recording music at the moment that you want to tell us about? Uh, we, well, Ellie, this is Ellie and I just did um, Haley Mary from the Jezebels, right? She's done. She's gone off solo. Jezebels, one of my, f- I love that. Right. So Haley asked Ellie and I because because she's she and she did this like in a quite like really professional way. She listened to a bunch of stuff and she's like, and she was talking to me. She's like, I feel like I, I need to I need a rhythm section. I was like, listen to the rig shit. Listen to Modern Pressure. So she said she went on the runs and she listened to it. And then she called me up one day. She's like, I think I want you and Elliot to be the, the band. So yeah. it was Elliot and I, Tookie from DMAs, who's who is obviously dating Haley and Haley. And we and she had all these songs and she sent them to us and Ellie and I would go j- rehearse them and learn the like we just kind of build our own parts on them and we're like we went up to the grove. So I I, I mean and the songs are f- like they're yeah, they're great. beautiful songs. Like that like this record of Haley's is gonna be just like it's gonna be one of those timeless, beautiful moments of especially from a female artist in this time like it's it's a great record so i i feel like you should get Haley on the show good pitch i think Haley's great i'm a huge fan of her and have been forever which is why we agreed to do that record in the first place i'm going to take this opportunity to also pass that and stay on the same tangent here this western australian um artist who is a, a singer that used to be in the band called the panics his name's oh, Jay fully. Laffer. Yes, love Jay. Great. And so Rudy Mark Ma from the Delta Rigs, who's obviously like in the core. We've talked about him a lot during this podcast. Produced this latest record. He played drums on it as well. I think Rudy. Uh, yeah. yeah, Rudy played a lot of drums and guitars. I've I've worked with Jay on his first solo record and played on drums on that. But for me, his latest one is this progression of this um, he's this kind of storyteller. Jay's record is incredible, in my opinion. I feel like he is potentially the next Paul Kelly. Well, he is. That's he a big is call. It. But he really has a, a a narrative across the Australian landscape that is missing. Hmm. Um, we don't have anyone like him. I'm going to stop myself from talking. Like I know you guys, and I appreciate your time. And once again, at the top of the podcast, you guys have nailed the sound of it. I so love hanging out with you. Thank you so much for your time. Mate. And your stories have been exquisite. Yeah, there's I love so many so more. Much. It's just like... Uh, no, no, we're done. It's been really fun. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but it's been really no, fun. No, we're done. It's been because Great. we don't talk about Great. this stuff. We don't talk about it.